welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to share with you some very vital information about Ohio's heartbeat bill that became law uh, this June with the Dobbs decision in Washington, D.C. There was a court that actually held it an injunction on it, and State Attorney General Dave Yost filed for the removal of that injunction, which the court granted, putting the heartbeat bill into effect, basically legislation in Ohio that when a heartbeat is detected, abortion could not proceed. It absolutely has saved lives all across Ohio these last almost four months since it's been implemented into law. But it is at risk even as we speak. And there may be news tomorrow out of Cincinnati, Ohio, out of Hamilton County, as a common pleas judge is poised to make a decision on the heartbeat bill. We're going to talk about this with Attorney Josh Brown, from Columbus. Uh, Josh has worked with the Ohio Christian Alliance and other conservative organizations in Ohio. He is a constitutional attorney. We're going to talk about the case they had before the state Supreme Court, and uh, they actually have asked for its dismissal because it is a strategy move of what the court, another court, is about to do tomorrow. And so you really need to take uh, notice and listen carefully to this program. Uh, so, Josh, uh, tell us about the dismissal of the case at the state Supreme Court. So walk us through a little bit how Ohio's heartbeat law, a bill, became law uh, with the Dobbs decision, and then what uh, Planned Parenthood and other abortion uh, activists did to try to stymie the heartbeat bill, and then uh, we'll bring everybody up to speed as to what's happening right now. Josh Brown. All right. Thanks, Chris, and uh, good day to you. Um, so it all started uh, with uh, Roe v. Wade, 1972, which you know, cre- uh, created this idea that there's a uh, constitutional right to abortion, and that opinion weighed the interest of the state in protecting a child against the interest of alleged interest in the constitution of privacy. And then in 1992, in the Casey decision, the court scaled that back uh, significantly and found that the state has an interest in protecting the life of the child and that uh, there was no fundamental right to the privacy, but um, the court was going to um, <clears throat> set the uh, this period within gestation that they call a viability as the point at which uh uh, the privacy interest was strong. So the heartbeat bill basically said that the state has an interest in protecting the life of of a child when a heartbeat is detectable. So uh, I testified on behalf of the Our Christian Alliance uh, that that was a good standard. We called it the life standard. It's based on the idea that there are signs of life and that that is a good metric on which to determine uh, where the state has an interest in protecting the life of a child. So the Dobbs decision came out earlier this year, and in the Dobbs decision, the court 
decided that <clears throat> the state's interest it can be at any time and uh, didn't say necessarily that there was no right to privacy, but it basically said that a regulation of this is a, is a state decision, which is exactly what pro-life activists have been asking for was um, because there there clearly is no explicit right to this in the Constitution. And uh, they used a methodology to find or create a right in the Constitution called substantive due process. Substantive due process means that if there's a fundamental right to something that's found in traditions of the country, then you can, uh, the court can then rule that there's something that's protectable there as a fundamental right. That's called substantive due process. So after the Dobbs decision, the court rejected the idea that there is a substantive due process right, a fundamental right, uh, or anything rooted in America's traditions and histories. Um, and there clearly isn't. Uh, almost all of the states in the United States uh, deemed abortion to be a crime throughout the entire 19th century. And in fact, uh, a lot of those laws were knocked off the books in 1972. So, and Ohio is included among them. It was a crime to uh, engage in an abortion in the 19th century. And that was affirmed by the Ohio General Assembly at least twice. And they passed multiple laws about five times in the 19th century that affirmed that over and over again. So that brings us to after the Dobbs decision where the Supreme Court of the United States said that it's a state issue. The Planned Parenthood in a abortion clinic in Ohio called Preterm Cleveland, they went to the Ohio Supreme Court and said, we think that you should find a right to an abortion for the same reason the U.S. Supreme Court found a right to abortion in Roe versus Wade and the 1992 Casey opinion. So uh, the attorney general, of course, was acting on behalf of the state, and they argued against it. I represented uh, one an organization called One Nation Under God, and we wrote a brief, which is supposed to be a persuasive brief, called an amicus brief, which is a Latin for a friend of the court brief. And so we attempted to persuade the justices of the Ohio Supreme Court not to find a right to an abortion in the Ohio Constitution under the same logic that the United States Court, uh, the United States Supreme Court had just said was uh, not a, a good ruling. So uh, the abortion clinic and Planned Parenthood, they, for some reason, uh, decided to dismiss the case before it was decided on. And they said in their dismissal that they were going to file separate litigation in the Ohio Court of Common Pleas. And so my guess is what they're trying to do is probably forum shop and find a Common Pleas judge that would rule in their favor and then try to work that back up towards the Supreme Court. So, and that's where we're at right now. I've heard that they may be filing a case in Hamilton County, but I'm not 100% sure where they're going to file it. 
We're talking with attorney Josh Brown. He's a constitutional attorney uh, based in Columbus, Ohio. You're listening to News in Focus, a broadcast of the Ohio Christian Alliance. That's right, Josh. I remember when you presented testimony on the heartbeat bill when it was in the Ohio Senate a few years ago. And uh, we had Dr. Kathy Altman, who came in also, who was a former abortionist. And she testified, and it was very compelling testimony. And, of course, uh, there was many tries to get the heartbeat bill through both chambers and signed by the governor, and that was the time in which it was successful. Uh, then State Senator Christina Rogner was the chief sponsor in the Ohio Senate. It went to the Ohio House for concurrence. It went to Governor DeWine's desk for signage. And then it was enjoined by the courts as the Planned Parenthood and abortion groups uh, filed suit against it. Then comes the Dobbs decision striking down Roe v. Wade after 49 years of the abortion holocaust in our country. And thank you for that uh, revision on history in the courts as to how the court has um, interpreted uh, the letter of the law or the interpretation of abortion, whether it's a right or not. And then, of course, the courts, basically the court, the U.S. Supreme Court, sent it back to the states. And now ensues the battle in the states. So Ohio had the heartbeat bill. And then uh, State Attorney General Dave Yost released it uh, with his filing with the court uh, that uh, basically allowed the bill to become law. And I want to give an update to our listeners. It absolutely has saved lives since it's almost four months in existence, the heartbeat bill. In fact, we have a uh, testimony of a report that uh, was given to us yesterday in our office about preterm, the abortion clinic in Cuyahoga County. Uh, One of the things also people have seen is that uh, Democratic prosecutors in Cuyahoga County, Franklin County, Hamilton County, uh, all blue counties now, uh, basically say, well, we're not going to pursue prosecution. Well, the heartbeat bill is so strict that you can lose your uh, medical license if you perform of abortion in violation of the law. It's not just the clinic itself. So there's lots of uh, penalty and liability of those who uh, would uh, basically flaunt the law and try to go forward to enact abortions in in um, in violation of the heartbeat legislation uh, law. Excuse me. And so preterm. Here's a witness. There was sidewalk counselors on Saturday. One woman uh, said they just sent me out. They're shutting down for the day. Uh, and another, uh, and she said, you know what? I really didn't want to do this anyways. And she talked to the counselors, and they're going to be helping her. Uh, with uh, keeping her baby a little bit later as they continued to pray and just be available. Another woman came out. She was screaming. She was yelling at them and cussing at them and saying they can't do my abortion. And so literally now it looks like preterm Cleveland is actually following the law. Imagine that, ladies and gentlemen. And so that's the good news. The bad news we have right now, and Josh, I got a source in Columbus that's telling me that this is in court uh, common pleas, there's going to be a decision as early as tomorrow uh, by a judge that, as you say, they shopped around, they found a favorable decision. Looks like they've got one, and that this judge is probably also going to, you know, excuse me with the terms, you can help me with that, with, whether enjoin it. In other words, uh, uh, put a hold on the implementation of the heartbeat leg- law in that county. If it's a common pleas court, he has jurisdiction over that county. However, it may refer also to other uh, counties that may have enjo- uh, joined that case. 
And so that would be, uh, we can imagine it would probably be Franklin County or Cauga County. So, folks, there may be some big news tomorrow that may not be good news for the heartbeat-led law in Ohio with uh, the, the battles begin in the courts. And so it's all about the state Supreme Court, and let's talk about that. So, as you say, Josh, the state attorney general filed to defend Ohio's heartbeat law, uh, the pro-aborts filed at the state Supreme Court. Many believe that they did the wrong type of filing, that they didn't really have jurisdiction at that point to file at that time, and that they've now filed this dismissal. It's a strategic move to get a favorable decision at a common pleas court. It uh, looks like at Hamilton County down there in the Cincinnati area. And so uh, they'll probably be back at the state Supreme Court. And, folks, that's why this election with the state Supreme Court, and by the way, you now will for the first time know who the Democrats are and who the Republicans are running for the Ohio Supreme Court. And we're just one seat away from giving it a Democratic majority, and I don't need to tell you what that means. That means that they will strike down Ohio's heartbeat law, and we can't allow that to happen. So the three Republicans running are Justice Fisher, Justice DeWine, and Justice Kennedy. Uh, information like this is going to be on our website. We don't endorse the candidates, but you know we can if we want to. Be honest with you. Excuse me. Well, you just said this. Listen, I can if I want to. We can if we want to. The law does not prohibit us. What I'm telling you is, these are the Republicans that are running that are pro-life. Justice Kennedy, Justice DeWine, and Justice Fisher, and also that information will be in the voter guide at least so that you know who the Democrats are, who the Republicans are, and we're going to have, of course, the voter guide from. The U.S. Senate race, congressional races in Ohio House and Ohio Senate, as this is a, an important midterm election, is an understatement to say. Would you agree, Josh? That's an understatement, right? This is really for all the marbles. I mean, think about what's happening nationally and all that. So let's go back to this. Uh, let's go back to this thing about the common pleas court because this is going to start playing out across the country. The the court sent it back to the states, and now. These folks, and for the first time, these kinds of judges are going to find, you know, in the past, it's like, well, we can't hear that case. Roe decided that. You have to go to federal court. You know, we're a local court. You can't really, you know, that's not the place to file this. Now, it's just the opposite. Now, these common pleas uh, courts and these judges are going to hear these kinds of cases. Explain. There's a procedural problem with their filing with the Ohio Supreme Court. And I think everybody noticed it right off the bat. They filed it as what they call a mandamus action. My suspicion is even though technically there is a Republican majority in the House Supreme Court, it operates or functions as a Democrat majority because the Chief Justice votes with the Democrats. And I think that the uh, Planned Parenthood and the, and the abortion clinics felt that their best chance of getting a favorable ruling would be to try to get a ruling by the end of this year because the Chief Justice is going to be retired at the end of this year and our three Republican candidates are doing very well and there's a good chance they're going to be elected and then we'll have a true Republican majority on the court. So I think that's why they took the procedural risk to go ahead and file a mandamus action because they can go straight to the Ohio Supreme Court with a mandamus action. There's all kinds of procedural problems with 
with doing it that way. And the attorney general pointed that out in his brief. So <clears throat> I think that behind the scenes, there must have been either some indication that they weren't going to get a decision by the end of the year or that they may not get a favorable decision by the end of the year. So they withdrew and we'll just have to live with the Supreme Court they get. Once this gets to the Supreme Court, they will file a common pleas. And there is already a common pleas judge that has issued a complete garbage ruling uh, for what they wanted. And they cited that ruling as much as they could in their original brief at the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, it's just a complete uh, nonsensical, uh, just total overstepping of this common pleas judge. I'm guessing they're trying to get that same judge again. Um, <clears throat> so um, nonetheless, um, their goal is to try to get a favorable ruling in common pleas and then hope for the best as they work their way up through the appellate court and then to the House Supreme Court. We're talking with Josh Brown. He's a constitutional attorney based in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he actually originally testified on the heartbeat law uh, when it was before the legislature. He has now filed an amicus brief in support of it at the Ohio Supreme Court. The uh, preterm Cleveland and Planned Parenthood have withdrawn their case, uh, filed a motion for dismissal because they are seeking another strategic move in a common pleas court. Uh, so we should hear, according to a source in Columbus, and this is breaking news right here on News and Focus, is that there will be a decision this week that will probably go against the heartbeat law and uh, what ramifications that may have. It may, in that county, uh, put an injunction on the heartbeat law. It may also include other counties if those counties have um, enjoined the case. And so... Uh, stay tuned. This is going to be news this week uh, because they want, uh, they're want they in a hurry-up offense here, and uh, they're going to expedite all this. So uh, this is the battle that we're in right now, the battle for life. So the heartbeat law is actually saving lives. Those are just a few of the testimonies, as I'm telling you, that uh, these abortion clinics are all but shutting down in Ohio. Repeat that. All but shutting down, not able to perform their operations as they were, and it is saving lives. That's so the heartbeat law in Ohio is saving lives. And folks need to be praying about this and we need to be vigilant. If you thought the battle was over, it's not. The battle is in the states and in Ohio. And that's why electing representatives that are pro-life is so important. You know, Josh, I talked with um, J.D. Vance, who's running for U.S. Senate. And he is absolutely pro-life. He said, I fully support Ohio's heartbeat law, and uh, I am for life. I have a family. Uh, it means a lot to me. I'm a man of faith. I've renewed my Christian faith in the last few years, and he talked about that. Uh, but uh, he also has a strong position on marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, said he would not vote for um 8404, which the Democrats pushed through Congress last month, which would codify homosexual marriage into law, same-sex marriage into law, in violation of our moral standards, and would be a, a real problem for religious entities across the country if that was to become law by Congress. But 
it passed the House, it is stuck in the Senate. They may not have and prayerfully do not have the votes in the U.S. Senate before the term is out. Uh, but folks, all this to say, this is a great and important election. You need to pay attention. And so no one's sitting on the sidelines this time. And so there's so much at stake in our own civil liberties as well. So, uh, you know, Josh, thank you for what you're doing uh, in the courts, you know, filing the case as a conservative attorney, uh, defending the cause for life. So um, in the event that this common pleas court does uh, basically uh, go against the heartbeat law, put some type of injunction on it for that county, how do you see that playing out at the, uh, the Ohio Supreme Court again? Because the next filing would be uh, an appeal to the Ohio Supreme Court. And according, uh, you know, the Ohio Attorney General may not immediately file uh, because the law would still be in effect through most of the state and there would not be a rush to appeal that until after the election. Your thoughts on that? It depends on a lot of different things and how they file it. So. If they want to create the best case they can, you want to have some sort of a lawsuit with a you know a fact pattern and parties that you can represent in the case. <clears throat> if they're just trying to get a mandamus again or um, just trying to attack, attack the law more broadly, then I think it will probably move through the system a little faster. Nonetheless, if they were to, at the complete level, try to issue some sort of statewide injunction on enforcement of a of a bill. Uh, I think that uh, you would probably get an interlocutory appeal, meaning that the uh, appellate court would be able to review it immediately and uh, perhaps uh, overrule that injunction. So this is a battle that we're going to now obviously be involved with as pro-lifers. How should people at this point, uh, what should they be looking forward and how should they be praying right now? Well, we need the uh, judges to, I mean, the, the big problem in Ohio is uh, we need to pay more attention to judges, especially in the uh, metropolitan urban counties. Right now, that is an enormous problem um, across the state. You know, the Fraternal Order of Police has complained loudly about it. Uh, prosecutors have complained loudly about it. Um, there's all kinds of problems that people have pointed to in terms of crime and and uh, people getting uh, out on low bail. And one of the, also the problems that you'll see is activist decisions. And I think that uh, the big thing you actually need to do is start paying more attention to judges in the world, in the uh, urban areas and start contributing to the good ones, start doing things to keep the, the bad ones from getting elected. Oh, that's an excellent point. And to be in prayer as always. My guest today has been Josh Brown, attorney, constitutional attorney from Columbus, Ohio. Josh, thank you so much for joining me today and helping us to better understand what's happening with the heartbeat law and and the legal challenges. Thank you. Well, thank you, my friend. Well, on the other side, we're going to hear from Dr. Jeff Sakinga of the Ashbrook Center. It's a political science department of Ashland University. We're going to be talking about Constitution Day coming up. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these messages.
Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. In the Army National Guard, soldiers serve part-time and close to home. My community means everything to me. It helps shape me into who I am today and is where I choose to raise my own family. That's why I joined the Army National Guard. I'm proud of where I'm from. And as a soldier, I get to give back to the people that helped me succeed. The education benefits I got from serving helped me get my degree and jumpstart my career. The training and leadership skills I've gained from the Army National Guard help me every day when I teach young people, help my neighbors, and look out for my community. I know that when my neighbors need us the most, my fellow soldiers and I will be ready. My family loves it here, and my part-time service means we get to stay here. Serve part-time in the community you live in as a proud member of the Army National Guard. Talk to your local recruiter or visit NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Ohio Army National Guard. Aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. And this week we'll be celebrating the Constitution. Constitution Day is September the 17th, and again we'll be celebrating that wonderful document that holds this representative form of government together. Of course, it's been receiving many challenges as of late, but uh, the Constitution is alive in the hearts and minds of many people in this country, and it needs to be in practice in our form of government, and it's how we are to invoke the U.S. Constitution and our constitutional rights, including the Bill of Rights. Let me read the preamble for you. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. Well, here to talk about celebrating Constitution Day is the director of the Ashbrook Center, is the political science department of Ashland University, uh, the famed Ashbrook Center. In fact, uh, one of my uh, young uh, children have actually been a graduate of the program and is actually serving in state government, uh, all to her credit and her knowledge uh, that she received from the Ashbrook Center. Uh, is with us is Dr. Jeff Sakinga. Je- Doctor, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. You come in a succession of former directors that we've had on this program over the years and uh, have worked with. And, of course, one of the things that we were able to achieve, in fact, I'm looking at a photo on my wall with uh, John Kasich, former governor, signing what was called the Founding of American Documents Curriculum into Law, something that we worked on for 10 years. And um, 
And so basically, I'm looking at Dr. Peter Schramm, who's with us, and uh, Dr. Schramm actually helped us uh, by testifying on behalf of that bill. And the Ashbrook Center actually launched a master's program that helps to strengthen American government and American history studies in the classroom. So I would like to talk with you about that. But let's talk about the new um, uh, Ashbrook Center uh, facilities, because you've actually you've done a little renovation and a little move uh, this last year. Tell us about that. We have. We're, we were blessed to have the problem of, of expanding, of growing uh, beyond where we were. We're located on the campus of Ashland University in Ashland, uh, between Cleveland and Columbus. And um, we've been here on campus since 1983, when we were inaugurated by President Ronald Reagan. And um, we just, over time, have grown in the number of programs that we offer for students and for teachers and for citizens, and staff growing to meet those demands. And we had been on the top floor of the Archer Library and uh, outgrew the space this past year, and so moved over to across campus to a wonderful, beautiful facility the Dwight Shar College of Education building, and we occupy part of the second floor now. Terrific place for our staff, for our students, and for faculty as we look to continue to grow uh, the programs that we really think Ohio and the rest of the country need. Well, the Ashbrook Center has sent out a lot of students over the years. Tell folks a little bit about the history of the Ashbrook Center. It's actually named after one of Ohio's uh, congressmen. Tell us about that. It is. It's named after Congressman John Ashbrook, uh, who represented the 17th District of Ohio in the U.S. Congress from 1960 to 1982. Uh, he was running, actually, for Senate in 1982 when he tragically died. Um, he got ill on the campaign trail and then died about two weeks later. And really to memorialize him and the principal's that he stood for, his friends uh, established the Ashbrook Center at Ashland University back in 1983. And we really started with our first programs for students in 1984. And Congressman Ashbrook was um, shoulder to shoulder with President Ronald Reagan. And he was one of the people who helped to draft Reagan, actually, to run for president and was also involved in the draft Barry Goldwater movement back in 1964. So his roots with Reagan went very deep. And to memorialize his friend, President Reagan came personally, very generously, to Ashland, Ohio, to dedicate the center to inaugurate it, really, in May of 1983. And we've been building on Congressman Ashbrook's legacy ever since. I remember how the news covered that, because they were wondering where Air Force was going, uh, basically outside of Mansfield, Ohio, to a little <laughs> airstrip <laughs> there. They're wondering, where's the president going? And uh, he put the wheels down. I mean, you know, an acting president with the big bird coming in, Air Force One, and then, of course, coming out to the college to dedicate. I just thought that was great. And what a great history and legacy that you have. And, then, of course, so many students over the years, uh, whether you're in Washington, D.C., or whether I'm at the uh, State House in Columbus and in state government, I'm running into a graduate of the Ashbrook Center that is actually making a difference on various levels of government, whether they're uh, working with congressional uh, as congressional aides or on staff with uh, uh, state house officials or statewide officials, actually. 
uh, being uh, you know advisors and counsel and uh, staff to them. So basically, you have a long list of uh, credentials of the graduates that have come from the Ashbrook Center that are really helping to uh, shape our world for the good. And so I think that's a great credit to you and to the center. So tell us about um, today. Bring us up to today. Uh, you obviously have new facilities as the program has grown. And uh, what what are you looking, what are the challenges now that these new students are facing as they are about to be launched out into the uh, new uh, environment that we find ourselves in in 2022? And tell us a little bit about that, how you go about preparing these students for that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, the challenge that they face is a country that's really divided over the, the meaning of our founding principles and even whether or not those founding principles are good and we should follow them. And I think we've had this kind of challenge before in American history, but we're, we're in one of those moments of what I would call crisis right now. Uh, it's very rare. Sometimes we've had agreement on the fundamental principles, but disagreement on what they mean for particular policies. But I really think we're in a time in American history where we have some dis- serious disagreement over whether or not those founding principles really should be the things that guide us. And at Ashbrook, we believe very strongly that they should be, and that the principles of documents like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution really were true then and are true now, and they are principles that ought to be guiding our leaders and our public officials. And so that's the challenge we face in educating this young generation, and we really hope that through our programs for students and for their teachers who will then teach students in middle school and high school, we really hope that they'll get an understanding of America's founding principles of self-government, of our shared history, and the struggle to fulfill and live up to those principles, and that they'll come away with that, we really hope, with the, with the knowledge and the character and the judgment to be leaders who do really live out and advance our founding principles of self-government. And, and that could be, a, as you said, at the national level in Congress or the executive branch or the judiciary. It could be at the state level in Columbus. It can be in the local level, uh, or frankly, it could just it could be in in their own families and raising their own children uh, to be American citizens who understand and love the country and, and are committed to those same principles of self-government. So we see, we want our students to go out in the world and fulfill their calling wherever that is, and to really flourish and to continue that legacy of self-government. You know, it's so true, and actually, um, to actually um, bequeath that love of America into our children, to the next generation, is so important. And so that was the uh, purpose behind the founding of American Documents curriculum, that we fought for 10 years to get it through the Ohio General Assembly. We finally were able to convince enough members, both Democrat and Republican, it passed with broad bipartisan support, and Governor Kasich, uh, to his credit, signed it into law. It basically assures that uh, one full credit hour uh, from the 8th to the 12th grade, American government and American history, that's a half credit hour for American government, half credit hour for American history, will be taught from the 8th to the 12th grade with an end-of-course exam. Well, as you can imagine, over the years, I've actually had my battles with some of those who have uh, opposed that uh, 
requirement in the Ohio classroom, and they have attempted to uh, strip the end-of-course exam uh, requirement, which basically would kill the bill. Uh, actually, your friend and mine, Larry Oboff, former state Senate president, was the sponsor of that bill. Uh, we adopted uh, uh, him as he was a freshman senator, uh, and he still says it's a, that's one of my crowning achievements. I'm very proud of that, uh, that we were able to get that through. And so we've been able to keep it in place for the last 10 years, but it's had its battles. The price of uh, uh, liberty is eternal vigilance, and we've had to be vigilant and convince a whole new crop of legislators why it's working. And in fact, um, they've had members uh, from national social studies uh, institutes come in and give testimony. They actually corroborated the evidence that the uh, the testing of our students in Ohio is now much higher uh, in American government, American history, than their counterparts in other states that don't have this curriculum. So. Uh, I think it also speaks to the Ashbrook Center's program. I know that you have a master's program. Let's talk about that. Uh, that helps uh, social studies or uh, American government or American history teachers uh, as they enter the Ohio classroom to be able to communicate uh, these founding principles. Explain. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, that bill is a really important bill, Chris. It's just foundational for us at Ashbrook that you have to understand the primary documents of our history that really define who we are as Americans, like the Declaration of Independence, like the Constitution, like the Northwest Ordinance. Those are all bill parts, as you know, that are part of the, the bill that you were discussing. And, you know, as a parent, I've actually had this experience because my son goes to high school, a uh, local high school here. He had a teacher who was an Ashbrook-trained teacher. He took the state exam and did really well on the sections, especially on the sections devoted to the primary source documents, like understanding the Declaration and the Constitution. And why is that? Because we have that requirement, and because he had a teacher who was educated to know those documents and to really have the confidence to teach them in the classroom. So I'm, 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 <laughs> I've experienced it personally, how important that is in shaping young people. And that's why the, the, the program you mentioned, Ashbrook's, uh, we have a Master of Arts in American History and Government, and we started back in 2005 for teachers who wanted to really know the content of what they were teaching in American history and government and civics. They actually came to us and said, we, we know how to teach, but we want to know what to teach. We want to know the content of these things so that we can really have the depth of knowledge and the confidence in that knowledge to lead great discussions and conversations in class. So it was really out of their desire that we created this program. We kind of thought, oh, there must be something out there already. And like entrepreneurs, we realized, no, there isn't. So we seized that opportunity and started it. We just had a few, a couple of dozen teachers in those days, and now we've got almost 300 teachers from around the country, and we have got about 600 alumni who have graduated with a master's from us from all 50 states. And they take what they've learned about the fundamental documents of our founding and of our history, and they go back to their classrooms and back to their schools, and they start teaching that way. And it has a remarkable effect on their students. It just brings Amer the story of America alive for their students in a really profound way that makes the learning enjoyable 
and that the students see the importance and the significance of really digging into these primary documents that do define who they are and who we are as Americans. One of the aspects of the, uh, you know, the Institute is uh, that the students learn how to debate and basically defend their positions. First of all, before you do that, you need to well-research your position and what, you, what your arguments are. And I think that's our, our country was founded on that as a debate, you know, with the Continent, uh, Continental Congress and uh, with, uh, you know, basically putting our Constitution together when they, they assembled the debate. And so I like that the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers are uh, debated within uh, the studies program. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, how that works for the students to basically uh, get them to argue their position and to understand the importance of that and to do it in a civil way. Yeah, we really, that's absolutely right. Um, we need, we try to have them do what our founders did, which is to understand the fundamental principles that make us one people, as the Declaration of Independence calls us. And then understand, though, that even if we share certain fundamental principles, like equal treatment before the law, individual liberty, consent of the governed, um, limited constitutional government, the rule of law, those are founding American principles that we all should want to conserve. But that we, we, we try and understand those by reading the primary documents of our history. So we plunge the students right into it when they first get here as undergraduates. And we get them deep into George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, the Federalist Papers, James Madison, you name it, the Declaration of Independence, Abraham Lincoln. Um, we, we get them to meet the great minds of the past, the great Americans of the past, and get them to know their minds. And then we talk about what it means in class and what it means for them as they go out to be leaders. And it's a terrific education. It's the kind of education that you hope... You know, I hope that my child will get, my children will get, and it's the kind of thing we hope that all young citizens will get. They get to know what it means to be an American. They get to know that there's discussion involved, that there's uh, deliberation, there's debate, occasionally there's conflict, but that in the end, um, at, you know, as Thomas Jefferson and John Adams said, and they were pretty bitter rivals, <laughs> but after they were friends, in 1776. They were bitter rivals in 1800 in the presidential election. But as Thomas Jefferson they later said, um, Jefferson said, but we are all brethren of the same principle. And I just think that that's a beautiful phrase to describe the kind of education we hope the students will get. They'll understand the principles. They'll understand what unites us as Americans, even when we have disagreements. When we think of our first president, George Washington, who said of the Constitution, it is the guy that I will never abandon. And so, you know, it's so important to realize the importance of the Constitution. And when uh, the executive signs into office, then they swear to uphold the Constitution, our military. Uh, and that's the rights and privileges to every citizen uh, that is guaranteed in the Constitution. We see, of course, the civil liberties under great assault today. We see an overreach in Washington that is alarming to most. We see the politicization, uh, weaponization of, uh, you know, uh, the Justice Department, the FBI. That's been under scrutiny by a lot of people. 
and civil liberties are greatly under threat. It's so important to have the balance of what is our constitutional rights, uh, whether you're, you're, you're left-leaning or you're right-leaning or whatever your persuasions may be, under the Constitution and under constitutional law and governance, that's where we're to have our freedom and to have our privileges as citizens of the United States, and that's so under threat right now. So the work of the Ashbrook Center is so important right now. We really thank you what you're doing, Doctor, and continuing the legacy. I want to move on to some of the events you have coming up, and I didn't know that you actually are having former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo as your featured speaker at the Ashbrook Dinner. Tell us about that. And is there any tickets left, by the way? <laughs> uh, yes, there are a lot of tickets available still. We're just getting the announcements out. Um, they're going fast, but we do have some available. Yeah, we're, we're honored to have Secretary Pompeo come. It will be Friday, October 28th here at the Ashbrook Center in Ashland, um, he'll be coming to talk about uh, a freedom agenda and how we can restore our country's first principles of freedom in the hearts and minds of the American people, which is really a topic that's near and dear to, uh, to Ashbrook and our mission. So we're delighted to have Secretary Pompeo come, uh, and it's one event of a number that we're having this fall. We've got to honor Constitution Day. Um, and I don't think enough people do honor and celebrate Constitution Day, to be honest with you. Um, but we're, we're trying to revive that old, that great old tradition. Every year we have a Constitution Day talk. Uh, this year we're honored to have Justice Sharon Kennedy of the Ohio Supreme Court. She'll be here on campus just in two days, actually, on Thursday, September 15th. And she'll be talking about restoring the rule of law and the role of the court the proper role of the courts in a republic, which has been a big issue, as everybody knows, in debates over the U.S. Supreme Court, but also a big issue here in the state of Ohio and the proper role of the Ohio Supreme Court in uh, the rule of law. And Justice Kennedy is going to be giving her thoughts and remarks on that. So really looking forward to her coming. That'll be this Thursday, September 15th. And then we're going to have a great uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony for the new facilities that you mentioned on uh, Saturday, October 1st. So if people, uh, friends of Ashbrook out there who want to come and take a look, or new folks who just say, what's the Ashbrook Center all about? Uh, they're welcome to come to that event on Saturday, October 1st at 1 o'clock, where they'll get a chance to meet and greet with Ashbrook personnel and take a look at the facilities and meet some students and professors and staff and just get a chance to know more about the Ashbrook Center. So we've got some great events really some great events coming up that we think uh, will showcase Ashbrook and the, the work that we're doing uh, out in the public. Well, I'm marking my calendar for October 1st to come to your open house of the new center. I'm looking forward to uh, tooling around and, and seeing what it's like and meeting with some of the students. We always enjoy that. Hopefully I can uh, get my uh, daughter and son-in-law to join me, former graduates of the Ashbrook Center. Of course, they They've added to uh, their number, and they, they are starting a family. So they have a uh, little baby Anna that uh, maybe will be coming with us. So that would be great for you to see <laughs> That would be delightful. Yeah. And, you know, for all these events, let me direct your listeners to our website. Uh, that All the information is there on our website. It's very simple. It's just ashbrook.org, A-S-H-B-R-O-O-K, ashbrook.org. They can find all the event information there, and they can even register for these events and purchase tickets. 
Well, Doctor, thank you so much for being my guest today, and we're going to do our best to celebrate Constitution Day. We're starting with today's program uh, that will air this week, and of course, we're going to put out some information uh, as well out on our website. And then, of course, there's a way for folks to join your email list. How would they do that? They they can just go to ashbrook.org, and then we'll ask for their email, and they can sign up, and they'll receive our email notifications. They'll receive our newsletter and emails that I send out once in a while from time to time, sort of reflecting on important principles of the American founding or important moments in American history. So, again, they can go to ashbrook.org to sign up there. Well, that was my purpose because I really enjoy those, and I wanted to share that with others is what you're doing. Thank you so much, Doctor, for being our, our guest today on the program. Dr. Jeff Sakinga of the Ashbrook Center, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. God bless you. Well, again, folks, as we think about celebrating Constitution Day, it's as Jefferson said, uh, yeah, uh, Thomas Jefferson said, if if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. We need to be a people that is knowledgeable about our founding, and so I encourage you to read the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, in fact, uh, we will have free constitutions, and if you don't have one, we'll send you one. So uh, just phone us at 330-887-1922, and we will send you out a constitution with the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence. And again, that's 330-887-1922. Well, thank you for listening today. And if you've missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Also understand that we will have the voter guide for the upcoming fall election. November 8th is the election. Now, voter registration, if you need to update your voter registration, you can do that at our website uh, and, in fact, follow the links, and we'll have a link there that you can upgrade or update your voter registration. If you've never registered to vote, you can do so online through the Secretary of State's website. Uh, also, you could print off a form if you want to do it that way. Take it to your local Board of Elections. If you have a young person at your home that's just turning 18, and uh, they're looking forward to participate in this representative form of government. Uh, get them registered. The deadline is October the 11th, and uh, the election is November 8th. And so we're also holding Citizenship Sundays. If you want to conduct a voter registration effort at your church, you can do so. We have a packet of information. Again, the link is on our website. It's called Citizenship Sunday Packet. Click on that. It has... Uh, a voter registration form, an application for absentee ballot. Uh, ask your pastor to announce it. Uh, print off the vo voter registration forms. Register people at your church. Turn them into the Board of Elections on the following Monday. And that's what's important is people of faith to get out there and vote. Vote your morals, vote pro-life, vote pro-family, and religious liberty. And that information is going to be on our website with the voter guide. And we'll cover all the races at the Ohio Christian Alliance. Just search that. Thank you for listening today. God bless. And again, if you've missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at ohioca.org.
You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.